0: This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the first place I go to keep my business skills sharp. They offer over 150,000 books on business, finance, planning, and much more. They also have a great selection of fiction that keeps me entertained when I'm just not up for some serious content. I love it because I can buy a book, download it to my iPhone, and listen while running errands or at the gym. Get your free trial at freelancershow.com/audible. This episode is brought to you by Code School. Code School offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to freelancershow.com slash CodeSchool. This episode is brought to you by ProXPN. If you're out and about on public Wi-Fi, you never know who might be listening. With ProXPN, you no longer have to worry. ProXPN is a VPN solution which sends all of your traffic over a secure connection to one of their servers around the world. To sign up, go to proxpn.com and use the promo code TMTCS, short for Teach Me to Code Screencasts, to get 10% off for life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 135 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Reuven Lerner. Hi, everyone. Eric Davis. Hi. Curtis McHale. Chuck, you're recording this time, right? Yes. Okay, I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Donald Kelly.
1: Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, Still great.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Donald, do you want to introduce yourself for our uh, audience?
1: Yes. My name is Donald Kelly. I am the sales evangelist and I host the Sales Evangelist Podcast where I interview top sales and marketing experts from around the world who share advice, tips, tricks, strategies, and how anyone can become a seller. And that's either from a freelancer to someone who is new to sales Or an entrepreneur who has their business and hates selling, but have to sell to make money, keep the business open. So I teach all the basic concepts and principles that can help them go to that level. And I do that through the podcast, also through one-on-one coaching. I do workshops and seminars and, and so forth as well.
0: So before we get started, I'm kind of wondering, what is the hardest part of selling for most people that you talk to? Finding. Oh, really?
1: Finding, yep. A lot of people have a hard time with finding and starting the process because if I talk to 10 sales professionals or 10 entrepreneurs, they'll say the hardest part is getting to sit down with someone and to talk to them for them to listen to my project or my proposal or to my pitch. But if I can get to that point, I feel really comfortable. So sitting down with someone and going forward is great, but it's finding the right people and having the right message that can grab their attention that they don't think you're a sleazebag.
0: Mm. The topic for the show today is sales and minimizing prospects wasting your time. Is there a trick to having prospects not wasting your time?
1: There is. You eliminate the ones that are going to waste your time beforehand. And it's we can just as we go throughout the discussion today, I can highlight and emphasize certain points of I just did an episode, I call it a case study. It's going out today or tomorrow. And it's with one of my listeners. He contacted me and like at the very beginning, episode number six of my podcast, and he had a question, and I shared a tip with him, what I call it setting the rules before you play the game or calling it the upfront contract. It's a contract before they even sign to come on with me as a, their sales trainer or if I'm selling something to them. And you go over basically the criterias. I hate playing football with people who they make up rules as you go throughout the game or just do stupid things to waste time, so I apply the same things in selling. I set the rules beforehand. If the rules that we set, if we can't agree on the rules before we start playing a the game, then we don't go forward. So say for instance, if I'm developing something for someone, I'm not going to, I'm only going to give you XYZ amount of time or XYZ amount of mock-ups or if I'm selling shares or something like that, you only get XYZ samples and just things like that you set up beforehand. But I have a whole process that I break down. I can go into it right now if you want or as we go throughout the discussion, I can explain.
2: What do you guys think? I'd be curious how you do that, Now, for starters, because I just had literally today two conversations with new potential clients, and it wasn't clear to me where they stood in terms of whether it was a good match, but it did feel like a bit of a long, drawn-out conversation of 20 minutes with each of them um, (laughs) before we even got to the point where they wanted to raise rate issues – and I wanted to frame it in a way that they wouldn't be scared and that they could afford me. But that they, anyway, it, it, I felt like I was really kind of flubbing it there, even though I'm going to keep talking to them. But then I have to worry, am I talking the right way? Anyway, I think that means I'd like to hear it. <laughs>
1: sure. This is a scenario. When you meet with any client or any prospects. the first thing that I typically do with them is sit down and kind of obviously express gratitude, you know, thanks for meeting with me, so forth. And I know your time is important, my time is important. And I reestablish a time frame because one of the things that I hate is when I go into a meeting with somebody and they like chat for like two hours and I'm like, dude, I got stuff to do. I'm important, you know. It's it's important to make sure we have the right timing. Their time is important, my time is important, and the same thing with sellers. I meet with sellers sometimes and they're talking forever, and I'm like, dude, I really need to go now. So you set up a time frame. If that's going to be a 20 minute conversation, say is do we still have 20 minutes on the clock? Is it still okay to do, to meet? And they'll more than likely confirm and say yes. So when they say yes, we know the time is established. The next thing I go into is I reestablish, I try to give them an out. Because all buyers, people, Jeffrey Gittimer said people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. And I think that we can all agree on that. So what you do, you give them an out. Because they think as a seller, you're going to trap them into getting your product or you're going to force them. So I say, Chuck, if you feel from our discussion today, that this is not a fit. Is it okay if you would tell me so at the end of the conversation? And Chuck more than likely will say, yeah, I I feel the same way. I feel that's okay. And then vice versa, I will say, but Chuck, if I feel that from what you are looking for, if I'm not a fit, is it okay if I tell you so? And then it's going to blow them away for the most part because no salespeople, most salespeople don't want to do that. Most salespeople want to keep the prospect as much as possible and they want to hold them they want to keep their attention so first of all you're going to be different and you're going to grab their attention with that and give them the way to get out of the selling process from the very get-go and the next thing that i want to do is like this is your meeting so tell me some of the things that you want to get out of it they might say well i want to find out about the rate i want to find out what kind of work you can do i want to find out if i should use this java thing blah 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 you write all this down and then you now you have your outline of the agenda for the first meeting so you know exactly what to discuss and what they want to learn. And then when we get to the end of it, I review that. Did we discuss XYZ, Java, blah, 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 rates and so forth? And then you find out, ask them, put them on a the spot. Now, from what I explained, do you feel that we have a fit to move forward to the next step or do you feel that it's okay if we were not to go forward? It takes some balls and it takes some guts to do stuff like this. But it puts it in a way that is different, and it makes you find those people who are really interested from the very get-go. And I can tell you from the times I do this, I probably have had fewer, fewer people who flake on me because they know from the very get-go that I'm not trying to bend their arm into anything. Does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm. I have to say I've never, ever had a meeting where anyone on either side – anything even close to this and if someone else did this to me i'd be so incredibly impressed so i'm totally gonna take that
3: <laughs> it's it's like yeah that's fairly i would say that's fairly similar to what i do i frame the whole initial conversation around us finding a good fit and if i am not a good fit for you then you should go find someone who's a good fit for you and i maybe i know someone that i can refer you to but i only want to work with People that is a good fit between both of us, because that's how we produce our best work.
1: And I would agree exactly with you, man, with that. And the crazy part about it, I love the part that you mentioned about finding somebody that's a good fit for them. Because like, say, for instance, when I sold, I sold a, a soft, um, not software, managed IT services at one point, fresh out of college, and we had competitors and the competitors weren't as, didn't deal with biggest clients as we did but i would find like little mom and pop shops saying well we want to do this but it's too expensive so i would just pass them on and i to my competitor and it was like a a good referral for them because they deal with the smaller people if that makes sense and it builds goodwill amongst that community i don't believe in having you know competitors in a sense of you know hating but i want to keep them close to me so i can know what they're doing as well so anyways
0: yeah that makes sense to me so a lot of times it feels like i have clients that Or prospects that are kind of, I'm not sure if they're not sure, or I'm not sure if they're just stalling because they're waiting for something in particular. How do you figure that kind of thing out?
1: If it's in the initial meeting or just throughout the process.
0: Just throughout the process.
1: What I typically do, again, it's a similar thing, is I reiterate that the great thing about us as human beings is that we forget all the time. (laughs) And sometimes in my first meeting, I might tell them something, but then they all of a sudden forget about it. So I bring up the process every single meeting I meet with someone just to always give them the opportunity to get the out. And it's also you want to establish in your rules before you play the game in that first meeting, you can tell them or in that in every meeting, we want to make sure we have a clear outcome. So by the time we're done, you know what's going to be the next thing. And you frame it in a sense that you make them feel that they're in charge. So you can say, well, John, I really want to make sure that you know what's the next step because I hate going through a process where I'm confused or have this mystification of what the next step is going to be. So I want to make sure at the end of every meeting that we meet, we have a clear understanding of what the next step is supposed to be. And I reiterate that every single meeting. And post that meeting, I'll send an email as well like, hey, John, it was great chatting with you. We spoke about XYZ. This is our next goal, next step. I look forward to talking to you then. So they can have an understanding beforehand. And then during that meeting, I bring it up, explain what the recap about our previous meeting and give them the opportunity, the same contract, upfront contract, or set the rules before we play, remind them what the rules are. And if they have a desire to opt out, then they can opt out then. Because you want to minimize that challenge of going all the way, doing a demonstration of your product and services, giving them quotes and proposal, and they come to that point where they fall off. And I I hate that. So I've done as much as I can to minimize that upfront with this before we get to that point. And if I find that I'm getting a tons of people falling off beforehand, that's great. Because now I don't have to have them go throughout the whole process. It just helps me to refine who are those ideal and who are those perfect fit. Does that kind of help make sense there, Chuck, with your situation?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: The other one that I wrote... Oh, go ahead. I craft my first email to do that as well. Like I have a standard set of probably three questions and it goes up to, say, six or seven depending on what the client sends me technically. But I don't even respond. If I don't get that email back, then they don't even get my sales pipeline because they're not worth it. And I've had a number of saves recently where like, eventually the client comes back because I keep saying, you need to respond to these questions. You need to respond to these questions. And their budget wasn't there. I got called a shill recently because I wouldn't, Respond to them and without actually answering my questions, uh, and it's yeah, it saved me tons of time. Lets me respond to plenty of leads, but waste time on very little because it's just an email template as well.
1: Curtis, can I pose a question to you? So, how did you get to that point where you started doing that? Like, what happened? Or,
3: well, I converted from being a technician, so being a programmer, to running a business, and I started learning about sales, and then I started crafting an email, and had a friend or two that helped me. Um, that gave me templates that were theirs and eventually I rewrote it to be exactly what mine is now
1: yeah because I feel that a lot of people tend to be and I think a lot of folks tend to get really afraid of offending the prospects that they don't do stuff like that or they think if I say this I'm going to scare them away or if I'm this blunt they might get offended well it's either one you do it now or two it's going to linger and then they're not going to be a benefit, and you're wasting your valuable time that you could be working with people that are going to fit. And I think a lot of people need to, especially when I say a lot of people, especially myself, when I first started off, I was just, I was deathly afraid. I really just didn't want to offend people. I really wanted to be the people pleaser, <laughs> but you can't please yeah. everyone because everyone's not. You can't.
3: I think that's always funny because it's some random person that you've never even met. It's not like your spouse <laughs> or a friend or anything, and you're worried they may not like me, and I will never see them again, and I will never get an email from them again. Yet I am concerned about what they say. And part of the way that I changed it is I really, as I changed my mindset to be thinking of a good fit, I'm trying to help them find the best fit. So even when the client they didn't call me specifically a shill but he basically told me i was a moron and he found someone way better for him somewhere else at a third of the price and i responded with i'm very glad that you found a perfect fit for your project good luck because that's what i want him to do any client right i want them to find the perfect fit for their product and it may be a pricing fit it may be even an interaction fit uh it may be that there's a better developer for that type of project and i yeah that is what my goal is every time
1: smart i'd love to see your templates too so that'd be awesome
0: so what about the people that don't get back to you? I mean, there are people that I have talked to and I wind up emailing them and, you know, I keep emailing them, you know, hey, you know, I, I'm wondering about this or wondering about that and they just never seem to get around to anything and that wastes time.
1: <laughs> Personally, what I do, I just put those in the pile that's not my fit. If they're not responding, well put it like this. If there is if it's a reasonable size business and it may be something that's really, you know, it's benefit me investing time into it. What I will do is I will contact them as much It's reach out to them in different avenues, because I know it's a sexy sized business. It's a, It's a decent sized business. I know it's a fit from our previous discussion, because one of the things that I recognize, especially with some business owners, is that they're busy. Unfortunately, Donald is not the first thing or the only thing on their mind. They may have you know, problems within their HR, they may have problems with something in the organization, maybe legal issues, something that may be going on. And it's important to understand that they're just maybe something came up. It's not necessarily that they're not interested. But if it's someone I recognize that it's it's not necessarily going to be a right fit, it's a small thing. And I've tried and I've done multiple avenues. You know, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm just going to scrap it and focus on one that's going to be beneficial. So small little deal. I know it's going to be drag me you know drag through the whole process I've just said scrap it and forget it but if they're you know we recognize there's a fit but I haven't been able to hear from him I assume that something came up and I'm going to do multiple channels to get a hold of them whether that's email phone call carrier pigeon maybe a threat okay maybe not a threat but (laughs) you get the point (laughs) I'd love to see your carrier pigeon templates they're great. These are some Jamaican pigeons. They're pretty awesome, man. <laughs> That's right. I, I
3: always forget you're from Jamaica. Yeah, I'm on. <laughs> and I think for like my follow-up, if they don't respond to that first email, I don't even bother. Because um, <laughs> it's just not—it's a waste of my time. If they're yeah. not willing to respond to that, and even, the, say, with the guy who basically called me a shill, I wrote back and said, I only want to work with clients that are going to take the time to give me thoughtful responses. Because his first response was, hey, can we get this project to cost less? And I was like, I just asked, like, (laughs) we haven't even talked to cost yet. Um, And after that point, long term, it does depend on the client. So I have one listener to the show who runs an agency, a Rails agency, and he looks for some WordPress work occasionally. And we haven't worked together yet, but I still follow up with him every quarter. Because... You know, there was a good banter back and forth and just to stay on the top of his mind. Eventually, there may be some work and typically the work from that would be, you know, enough that I could probably fall off with him for five years and every quarter and be fine. And honestly, the emails he gets are templates as well.
1: Another thing that you can do to keep top of mind is, especially if it's someone that you know it's going to take a while and, but you recognize there's a fit or whatever, I set up Google alerts on them and also on their organization and on the industry So instead of each time I email them, instead of saying something like, hey, how are you doing or what's going on with the project, I simply say, hey, I found this in the blah, 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 or I saw this about your company or saw that you were on XYZ podcast, great stuff. I saw that, you know, this is something changing the industry or iOS is doing this, blah, 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 blah. Thought this might benefit you. And you send them something. And initially when they get the email, it's like, okay, it's something that he's providing to me and it's not following up but inadvertently they're going to respond with a follow up and let you know hey this is where the project's at i did that particularly with one of the most recent ones with a school district because i still do software sales in the daytime and it was a school district that they found something cool happening in the newspaper in their neighbor, in their community and i had a google alert set up so i said hey i thought this was really cool send it to them and i got an update on a project because i was staying top top of mind without just saying gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give or what's going on, what's going on. Does that make sense?
2: I must say I like that idea, but I mean, I can't imagine having Google alerts for all the people I speak to. <laughs> it, it seems like an overwhelming <laughs> amount of email and alerts to be getting.
1: How do you deal with that? I focus on the ones that, again, the ones that are, are more so promising, like further along in my pipeline, or like say somebody like that, if they are, I know they're going to be a long process. They're a fit, but for some reason or another, we know we're going to have a long process. So I don't have tons of those, but the ones that I do have are just a few. And I have another Gmail account, which I just send stuff to anyway. So it's not my main
3: one. Yeah, and I, all year long, actually keep it. Like I just tag articles that are interesting in my field for e-commerce. And every quarter when I have stuff come up, like or when I have a reminder come up for those high-value clients that I like, I just look through Evernote and find one that I haven't, put their name at the top of it because I've sent it to them already and send them a new article and be like, Hey, I found this unless I find something very specifically tailored that triggers them in my mind immediately.
1: Yeah. That's very smart. I need to practice that one with my Evernote.
0: (laughs) 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 So are there any tricks or tips to getting things to close more quickly or is it more about making sure it's a good fit and taking as long as it takes to do that?
1: Good question. As far as making it close more quickly, I make sure – this is just from my analysis of my clients that I've worked with, the good and the bad. The ones that have closed quicker are the ones that I set the rules with beforehand because the reason why I close quicker is – and there's three things you got to have. you got to make sure you're talking to the person who can make the decision. you got to make sure they have the challenge or the pain that's going to cause them to act. And they have to have money. They have to have budget. And any of those two without one usually causes the problem or causes the delay. So say, for instance, they may not be the decision maker. They have to report to the decision maker. It's annoying because now you're going to elongate the process. We have to go through a third part, you know, a a different individual every time and so forth and so forth. Or if they don't have budget, they're going to elongate the process themselves. They're going to tell you all different types of stuff that's going to come up and, you know, we're, we're trying to get this or we're trying to do that or I like what your work, your sketchup. Can we do another demonstration? A lot of times it's they may not have the money. They may not be the decision maker. And if they definitely don't have the challenge, then don't waste your time trying to create pain. If they're not a fit for you, they're not a fit. But don't try to create pain. And by applying those three things and the upfront contract beforehand, that minimizes my process, my sales process tremendously. And I can speak from the times where I've done it and times where I have not done it when I started off early on in sales. So that's some of the ways that I help to speed up that process. And then the other thing, too, is I, I forgot to mention this, is that you have rules set or the agendas, the, the next steps set beforehand. And you, you'll be funny. It's, it's crazy, too. Try it. You should ask the prospect because no one goes into a buying situation not understanding that they have to give up money to get something in return.
0: Are I mean, you, you sure? To- I've talked to some people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you drop do you, do you know how do you know
2: how many potential clients call me saying you know and and we, we speak for a little bit and I've gotten better at making this clear up front but they say oh you mean you're, you're not willing to work for equity and they're shocked <laughs> by
3: this
1: yeah about that <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. But no I think way. when you talked about your challenge I think an important thing to make or to talk to them about is is this the most painful thing that you have what else could you be doing that could be more important or provide more value for you because even if you're talking about a pain if it's the fourth you know kind of fourth on the list of the CEO then yeah. it's possibly not even going to happen they've got three other things to fix first. Yeah, and finding out what that most important thing is, and if you know if they say this is important to us, but we have these two other things that are entirely unrelated to your sales process and to what you provide, then knowing that this is going to again go longer, I found that the longer I take my sales process, the better it is, and the only way that I can do that is because of savings that I have or other leads that I have coming in, so I could you know technically go for six months, I think at this point, and not worry about it any like not need any cash for six months and still run, but elongating my sales process as i've made it longer it's actually i've been able to charge more and do better with each client so that distance i can wait is even longer each time
1: and i think some of the things that might tie with that Chris, too. is it depends on the industry too like you know like it depends on what you're doing like in the software sales world my processes sometimes are longer and the sales evangelist sales process those tend to be a lot smaller and it just depends on Anyone, the listener, especially listeners, depending on your industry, on how your business is set up, you know that there's there are different different metrics or different ways that you can to do that. But I like that model that you just mentioned for your organization.
0: I, I'd also point out though that your sales process is probably longer than you think, because mm-hmm. I bet people listen to your podcast for a while and then decide to contact you about whatever. That is so, true. Your sales process includes the time that they've spent listening to you talk about sales on your show.
1: Yes, good point with that. Yeah, I guess it depends on where you start it, but that's a uh, from inception from them listening and so forth. Yes. Um, yeah, and it- your
3: sales process starts with every interaction, right? Every oh, interaction sure. is part of your sales process. So, like when I have clients, when I spend a bunch of time earlier this year on my agency site properly, the clients mm-hmm. that I got actually I got more clients, and they were better vetted. The cold clients better like they're almost as good as my referrals at conversions because of how I framed that. Even down to like my contract. Here's this final document I'm sending you, and if you don't like the tone of that, it basically convinces them to say no to me. And I've already spent that much time in the sales process, but that's fine. I'd rather have them say no. It's like getting married, you'd rather have some someone say no at the altar and deal with a little bit of pain than, than you know, 20 years later decide that this was a terrible, painful 20 years, right?
1: <laughs> good point. I need to make sure my wife didn't think that same way. We just got married a year ago. <laughs> 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 Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, man. I agree. There's a book called The Challenger Sale and a really, really good book. And the concept behind it is educating the buyer. And because most of your clients, you know, they're coming to you for, particular thing usually around development i imagine or if you're selling chairs people are going to come to you because they want to buy a chair so what if you can provide education that can attract them or educate them enough about chairs beforehand that it makes it easier for your from the interaction or from the point they start talking to you communicating with you for your process to close so say like my podcast is that way and same thing with your podcast you provide so much value, so much education in your content that people are educated before they come into the whole process and it speeds it up in the end. Some people have blogs where they write a lot of great information or white papers or they give a lot of you know webinars. It provides that free education things, and you educate people on stuff they probably never thought about, about chairs or about development or about software or about selling and it makes it so much more easier for them to be convinced that you're the right fit for them once you start having that two-way communication as opposed to them listening to the show.
0: So you mentioned that the hardest thing for people in sales is finding. Are there things that you do or teach people to do that, that help them get better at that?
1: Yes, it's practicing it, doing it. I find that a lot of folks who are my sales clients or some of the sales folks I've interacted with, the reason why they have such a tough time most of the time is because they don't have any practices in place to find people. So it's like they think they have a great product or a great service or a great technology, and they think people are going to flock to them without doing anything. So what I recommend is to do a variety of things, from in-person to web-based. So I might say, well, tell me about your LinkedIn profile. What's your LinkedIn profile like? Or what's your LinkedIn activity like? How about your Twitter activity? What groups are you a part of? What local networking groups do you attend? And also, what kind of information are you providing? What kind of education are you providing on your website? They might say, I work for a particular company. I'm like, well, I don't care. Do you have your own personal blog that you educate the industry on? Or do you have your own podcast or your own medium to provide information to your prospect? And then I also, I still believe in the concept, depending on your industry, that cold calling could still help you. And that's based on if you know what you're doing. And that's going to be not the majority of your time but it gives, I recommend doing a little bit of it and practicing your fine-tuning your skills. So you do a variety of finding activities and then capitalize on the ones that work the most effectively for your industry. But in order to find out which ones they are, you can either, one, find out what other you know, top performers are doing in your industry, or if you don't have the leisure of getting access to top performers, try the different ones and focusing on the ones that give you the best return. Like I keep doing my podcast because it provides me the greatest return on new customers and I also find that for me with the sales training if i give workshops or do workshops with other sales educators i find that i gain new clients with that as well cold calling i still do some of that because i contact schools and different things where i speak at but it's not the majority of my time It's a small portion of my time that I might send out. And even when it's cold, it's still warm because I do enough research on it to know who I need to get in touch with and if there are any common connectors, people that I can get introduced to. So I do a variety of activities and then I minimize it down to the ones that work the best. So anyone who's out there who are trying to find people, I I recommend that. Start with a broader base of activities and then start focusing them down towards the ones that provide the most meaningful results and practice those and do them religiously and habitually throughout the week. So if you're going to go to a networking meetup, make sure you do that. If it's every Wednesday, you go every Wednesday. If it's going to be a podcast, I need to put out two episodes a week. I put out my two episodes a week. If it's going to be a workshop, if it's once a month, then I'm going to do a workshop once a month. So does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, now one thing I yeah, see, absolutely. though, often from developers is that they go to do that and they go to, say, write their content because for their blog post, but they write to other developers, which is not their clients.
1: Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, that never <laughs> happens. <laughs> if you don't write, maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and how do you get around that yourself,
3: Curtis? Well, every client interaction, they're asking you some questions about your process or about whatever you've done. Write them down and then answer them. Every time you interact with any client, they're going to ask you questions. Wait, you got to talk to people? <laughs> At some point, if they answer my first email and I want to talk to them, then yeah, I tell them they can book a call.
1: And that's Marcus Sheridan. Is like I had, a, had him on my episode a couple episodes back, and that's one of the main things that he discussed was that every single question he gets from a customer or from a prospect, he writes it down and he answers it in a blog post. And the reason being because... If that person is coming to you asking a question about development, the likelihood of somebody else coming to ask that question is really, really high. So provide it. And that's why I say give education, give information. Those are some of the things that I put on my podcast because I get questions from listeners. I get questions from other salespeople, and I answer those in the form of episodes or in the form of some kind of content And the great thing about it is that it speaks their language because I use words that they're asking or phrases that they're using. And it triggers in the mind of other people who are just like them out there listening.
2: This is, I guess, similar in that, I mean, I do a lot of technical training and I'm always trying to sort of prove my chops in that, that I can explain things. And so often ideas for blog posts on my my blog come from when I'm teaching a class, if someone asks me a question, I'm like, hmm, I never thought about that before. I'm sure other people are interested in that. Now, this means, and I realize this, it's not going to go out to the people you know who are running businesses. They're, they're going to have a different set of agendas. And so I'm trying to, to some degree, rejigger my direction, at least some of my posts, to be more business-oriented. But I still find it useful to sort of say, look, folks, I know what I'm talking about. I know how to explain it. And I'm hoping that'll, you know, trickle down.
1: I love the phrase you use about rejigger. So I'm going to use start using that, rejigger. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, what did you do in the first place? Jigger?
1: Yeah, I put jig, but now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get jiggy with it, so.
0: <laughs> so what are some of the more common mistakes that people make when they're trying to sell?
1: They get offended, and that's why I love Eric's personality so far. I mean, I love all of you guys, but what I mean by it is, Curtis, you said you have your straightforward mentality where you send an email, and I feel that you're not going to get easily offended, right, Curtis?
3: I have way better things to do with my time, like massage my beard, than worry about what someone's <laughs> ever going to be thinks of me. Deep and tissue rub on be the beard. Got it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree yeah. with you. But the problem is it's really hard to teach that to people. So the way I teach that, the way I've learned it was separate your identity from your role. So say, for instance, people might call and say, I'm afraid they might reject me, they might not like me, or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, get over yourself. So the fact that the matter is not everyone's going to like you, first of all. And two, they're not rejecting you they're rejecting your role you have identity that's hard
3: to divorce as a freelancer especially it's hard to divorce your personal worth from the success of your business or from seeing hearing no right because you're so tied to it personally as opposed to being in say an employee
1: and you're right it is tough and what i mean by it in in a sense though is like so you might say let's put it like this let's say i go to some abc company and i you know i'm working with them and trying to sell them the product or services and it's the initial phase, initial area, and they rejected, it's not necessarily that they reject Donald Kelly. What they rejected was they rejected the salesperson. They rejected the process that I teach. It wasn't a fit for what they're doing. And if I recognize that, I'm still a 10 no matter what. And this is what my sales trainer did with me when I first started. He said, picture yourself, you're taken, you put on a deserted island. I take away all your roles. You're no longer a father, brother, uncle, husband, whatever. And How would you rate yourself, your identity, your self-worth? And usually people say about a five. His concept is, it doesn't matter what, you were born a 10, 10 being the highest, you're always a 10. Even if someone rejected you as a developer or rejected you as a salesperson or rejected you as a business owner, that doesn't mean they rejected you as an individual. And if you got to learn to, it's really tough, but you learn to separate that and just learn to move on. Recognize that there are more people out there who are going to be fit for what you're doing and that if they reject you, they're rejecting that role. They're not necessarily rejecting you. They're not offending your family line or calling your grandfather an idiot or, you know, your bloodline. They're, it's just they're rejecting that particular role. But,
2: but how, right, right, but it, it definitely took a long time for me to be able to make that separation between me, the person, and me, the business, or even just not taking it so-so personally.
0: Yes. The other thing, though, is that I always worry that I'm not seeing something. So, for example, I'm not seeing that I'm just not communicating well what the value is. Or I'm not, you know, whatever, something else. So I worry about that. Are they not buying because they don't need
3: what I'm offering?
0: Or are they not buying because I'm not communicating well what it does for them?
3: Have you ever asked them, Chuck? The worst they can do is not answer your email. They already said no to you.
0: Yeah, that's usually the answer I get is no answer. (laughs) you know i'll be like so what was it that
3: that, you know what was it that made you decide to go with them and i never get an answer really oh i've got an answer before i don't ask much anymore but have you guys ever done the an after action review no what what is that that's a military term and you basically do three things what went really good about the interaction what didn't go so good and how could i improve it how could i make sure that that bad thing didn't go or goes better next time Hmm. you have a military
1: background curtis
3: no, not at all. I just read about. It. I read a lot.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's very true to do stuff like that, and it's kind of like sometimes the, you can do it in a soft, soft way as well. If, especially if they're on the call with you, you always give them an out, Chuck. And this is what I will say: like if I'm on a call at a conversation with them or a meeting, I just kind of just say, just out of curiosity, or you know, is it okay if I ask you a question without you getting offended? You know, you give them, a, let them know mm-hmm. beforehand, and give them an out at one as, again more likely they're going to say yes. People don't usually say no. They might say depends on what it is. But for the most part, what I get is like, sure. I say, just out of curiosity, what was it about ABC company or ABC developer that you went with them? I just want to make sure I improve myself for the future. And I said, well, to be honest, this is what I like and blah, 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 blah. And usually then you can maybe, sometimes you can remedy and save the situation, but sometimes it's just, that's what they want. It's just not a fit. So just be okay to to leave. But I usually... if if it's especially if it's an email just say it's okay if i ask you a question you know or whatever it's okay if i ask you something without you getting offended more than likely they'll respond to that because they really want to know what it is and then they give you the information or i can even say off the record nothing is off the record but if you say off the record (laughs) it's amazing what happens they'll start opening up like holy crap this is not going to the nsa well this is what it is and by the way i robbed the bank down the street last week It's off the record, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's in my inbox. Google knows about it now, but.
1: (laughs) But people love to rescue others and they love to rescue you. So if you frame it in a way that you're in distress, you know, you put it like that. They want to make you okay. Just say, you know, I'm trying to improve myself and improve my business. If you don't mind me asking, would you be willing to share with me what you liked about that blah, 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 that I can improve myself? And you'll be amazed what happened.
3: I think that's hilarious because we're reversing the sales dynamic that we just talked about of people saying no or like you wanting to help people so it's hard for us to say no but we're Mm -hmm. reversing it to get them to help us in that instance to improve our pitch next time
1: and it's amazing what happens with that I've had people tell me stuff and I turn around and use that same exact line they tell me with somebody else and you're right it improves it and now I know people who are a good fit so
0: that's interesting
1: it's science man it's the science of selling Mm. (laughs) I guess, although, like, really, I've, I've tried. I mean, maybe
2: I haven't tried enough different ways or, you know, different permutations. But I've definitely, you know, sent email after things didn't work out. You know, that someone decided not to go with me. And I was you know, very honest. Maybe I didn't do it in the multiple steps that you're suggesting. But I said, look, I'm just trying to improve my business and prospects for the future. Can you tell me a little bit about why you didn't uh, go with the, uh, the proposal that I gave you? And I don't think I've ever, ever received a response to anything like that.
1: So, maybe try this. Make it, again, if I'm a business owner, again, I just make it very, very small, very, very simple, but just say, hey, congratulations, good luck with that. Just out of curiosity, what was it that made you go with them? Like two, three sentences? Or Mm -hmm. just out of curiosity, what made made you go with X, Y, Z? Or what are some of the things that you liked about blah? And I just like the idea of keeping it simple, something they can respond to within like a couple sentences. Don't make it sound like, if it's like, you know, why you rejected my proposal. You don't want to sound you don't want to make it no, sound no, like no. desperate, you know what I mean? But you want to make it sound that they something that can give you a quick response to. Like, oh, easy, they do blah 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 blah. And you didn't. Yeah. So. No,
2: no, I really I mean when I write these things, I actually am interested in hearing how I can improve, and I am truly interested in seeing them succeed. As yeah. my PhD advisor said, it has the advantage of being true. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
3: One of the big things that changed for me to get responses on a lot of this stuff is I wrote my email templates when I wasn't writing the email to my client specifically. So I wrote the generic version of it. I I wrote something to my client and then I sat down and at a different time of day when I'm not doing any email wrote what I wanted. What would my ideal interaction with that client look like? And that's the email template I use for things. I
0: like that. I like the idea of doing things like that because it takes all the emotion out of it. It takes all of the well, I'm kind of frustrated because I was pretty sure that they were going to you know, take me up on whatever it was I was offering, and they
2: didn't. At the same time, like I've definitely found being positive, being encouraging with people, even if they don't go with me, only has advantages. The number of times that it hasn't worked out with a potential client, and then a number of months later, either they come to me with another project or a different project that they say didn't work out with who they went with, or they recommend someone to me, is very high, and... I mean, if I were to get really angry with them, right, why didn't you go with me? It would have been in your best interest. That's just not going to be good for anyone, including for me.
3: And again, that's why I focus on fit. So mm-hmm. when they say I went with someone else, hey, I'm really glad you found they were a good fit. I'd love to know right. maybe exactly why they were a better fit than me.
0: Oh, that's that's right? a terrific or why angle. I
3: recommend, like I recommend, so there's like, there, I do e-commerce a lot. But there are certain types of e-commerce projects that I just send to my friend Daniel or I send to my friend Justin because it's simply a better fit. Am I technically capable of doing it? Absolutely. But that is not the type of project that really gets my blood boiling. That's something that they do better. And so I send it to them and vice versa. They send me stuff that is they could technically do, but it's just a better fit for things that I enjoy and that I do well.
0: Yeah, I really like the angle of, I, you know, I frequently have proposals come my way and, you know, I, I always want to make sure that I or somebody I know is a good fit. So I would like to meet the people that you ultimately chose and I would like to know why you chose them so that I can help make better decisions in the future regarding who I refer people to.
3: And then yeah, maybe this other person will be a better fit than people I know right now for clients. Mm-hmm. And it's
0: true. I mean, I like being the ultimate connector. But it's also true that then I can look at it and say, is that something that I need to learn how to do?
3: Good point. Yeah, maybe the other person had a process around something that you mm-hmm. just don't have, right? And you've oh, I've been meaning to get to it, but I haven't. But when you look and say, okay, that lost me, I don't know, we'll say a fifteen thousand dollar programming job. You know, is it worth spending a day or two for fifteen grand in the future, possibly? Yep.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that it gives you the opportunity to I don't know it just better arms you for next time. It better prepares you for what to do or it gives you how to better angle your product or your service in the future. So if yeah. I have a lot of people asking for that, then shoot, I need to do that. So,
3: But it can enlarge your network too, right? Contacting another company and saying, hey, I hear you won this project with them. That's awesome, congratulations. This is what they said they really loved about you and I would love to talk to you to see if you're a better fit for some of the contacts that I get because you're obviously a better fit here. And at like, how often do you get, I send those sometimes to new con- to people that I'm getting newly introduced to, but that's how I got a lot of the contacts that I have now. So I saying, Hey, I hear you're awesome at this. I'd love to chat with you for 15, 20 minutes and just figure out where your fit is so that I can send people to you.
0: Yeah. The other thing that I have noticed though, is I have referred out a few people. And the thing that I've noticed is that if I refer the workout, when they have another problem, they come to me, they don't go to the other guy. <laughs> 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 in a lot of cases, you know that they're, they're going. And why well, he, do you think
3: that is, Chuck?
0: Well, because I gave them a solid referral the first time, and they okay, know that you know digging I'm digging
3: deeper. Why do you? Yeah, well, because okay, they trust me. Ultimately, yeah, but that's exactly what I think. That they you gave them a recommendation that was in the best interest of their business, yes. not yours. Yes, and
1: that's where the I've heard the statement: treat other people the way that you would like to be treated, but. Somebody taught me this even further, treat other people the way that they would like to be treated. And the principle is that best interest. It's what's in the best interest for them. And if you do that, it's an oxymoron because people might say, like in that particular situation, why am I giving away business? But to the shallow-minded people, that's what they'll say, but to the people who really think deep or further about relationship and about trust and helping provide value, then in the long run, it's reciprocity. People are going to come back to you and you're going to find more business. It it never ceases to amaze me how it works out like that all the time.
3: Yeah, and I've been super bummed occasionally when I've sent out, like, you know, I send a project out to one of my friends and he's like, thanks, that was an awesome project. It's, you know, 20 grand for two weeks of work. And I'm like, man, that was a killer project. But it wasn't the right (laughs) Like I think a 20 grand for 2 weeks that's awesome but it wasn't the right fit for me. And you know, I get preferred work from friends that has me currently booked out to like the middle of January. So it does come back at some point. Amazing. All right. Well,
0: I have one more question for Donald. You've talked to a lot of people that do a lot of selling. And what I'm curious about is what are some of the common themes and then what is the most profound thing that you've picked up talking to all those people? So what are yeah I guess it's two questions, so start off with the common themes that come up.
1: Okay, from other sales expert or just from just sellers in general. Yeah,
0: so just talking to people in general, you know what are the common themes that come up throughout your conversations with other sellers?
1: With other sellers, it's usually I find that a lot of them find themselves falling into mediocracies, which basically they become mediocre in their selling. Because no matter who you are, and you probably, I'm not sure if this is the same thing with developers as well, but you might get training or you might get, you might learn a certain skill or a certain way of doing something and it was awesome. You invest a lot of time and money into it. But then the problem comes is that it's not practiced. It's not done again, habitually. It's not something that you consistently go back to. Like someone might got, you know, might have received hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales training. And they might apply it for like a month or so, but then quickly start going back to the old way. It's how do you maintain that? And what I see is that there's that rule that 80% of the business come from 20% of the sales force. And the 20%, the top performers, they're the ones that usually have systems or practices in place that keeps them going consistently. They don't have this spurt of, oh, I got training, so I'm just going to do training for you know, this next month or next three months and then fall back into my old ways and forget the material they practice every single day and this goes across many different organizations especially within sports you find a lot of average athletes but what makes separates them from the superstars is the superstars give so much more even when they don't have to they prove themselves and they practice they're consistent so a lot of sellers that i interact with they might find themselves you know i'm not i find that i'm not growing my business enough my pipeline is becoming stagnant i my, I'm not hitting my quotas or business owners, you know, my businesses are drying up or I'm not finding enough deals. And you talk to them and they know a lot of the principles, the basic principles, but knowing and doing is where some of the huge challenges come is knowing what to do and actually doing it. And I feel that a lot of people are not willing to do that. People are not willing to do the hard part of practicing or doing what they know they need to do. And as a result, they end up in mediocrity and they end up in that, that middle ground and they don't suck because they have some things that they know but they're not great because they don't apply all the things that they know they need to do. So that's the answer well, to the first question.
3: I don't know, I think they don't keep practicing and and training, right? I remember yeah. just reading about one of the best female Canadian soccer players and the coach hadn't met the whole team yet but looks out and like sh- there's one person in the pouring rain and like Two degrees Celsius, so you know thirty-seven or thirty-eight or something. And there's only one person out there practicing, and he goes up and he's like, "What are you doing?" She's like, oh, "I need to practice. You know these basic skills. Here's the basic skills I need to practice. I need to train every day to do this. Every day she is out there training to do that, and she is you know like the highest scorer on our soccer team, like forever, blowing away all the records.
1: I couldn't agree with you even more. It's the same thing. Doing and and some especially if you, people work for a business owner, they might say, "Well, my company is not giving me training, or I'm not going to give any time after work to train or to learn stuff, or I'm not going to go come in early to to do material." When I started off in selling in software sales, I was the grunt. I was the youngest of youngest, and I outbeat people who've been in the industry for like fifteen twenty years because I once I <laughs> I sold the CEO that I could do the job if I got the training I did. So instead of giving me a full time outside sales sales professional position, he gave me an inside sales job, and I needed to prove myself. so I got to work before everybody else and I got I studied the materials, I went and listened to other information like online and watched YouTube videos. I had to better myself to outbeat those that were further ahead and when I did that over time, practicing that consistently, even when I went at outside sales. You're right. I started becoming one of the top performers, and that's when I started re engineering the process of what happened and you know, how could I re share what I've learned with other people? And that's what I've done building the sales evangelist brand. Awesome. And then you had a second question. I totally forgot. I just turned 30 recently, so I forget stuff easily now.
0: Yeah, you're an old man now.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> boy. <laughs>
0: so uh, the other question was what's the most profound thing you've learned in interviewing so many top sellers?
1: Oh, man. Interviewing so many top sellers, I find out that a lot of them love to read, and they're a student of learning. They continually learn. I mean, if I go back through all the episodes, a lot of time they will tell me, I learned this from XYZ, or I learned this from this book. And it's the fact that they consistently... So I guess it kind of ties into the same area, but the fact of the matter is, that's what makes them so elite, is that they're consistently improving upon what they already know And like, say, for instance, you interview somebody like Jill Conrath and you're like, yeah, she knows everything. But then you realize that she's still growing in her knowledge or Jeffrey Gittimer or people like that. And they consistently talk about, you know, you need to look at this book or look at this, not only their book, but other stuff. And it fascinates me that they do that. And the other thing that I realized, too, is especially that the really good salespeople are not sleazy. So, interviewing with a lot of these experts and top performers, it's a different class of sellers. It's a different class of entrepreneur. People who are not just in it for themselves or in it for a quick win or just trying to do whatever it takes to get the business. They actually emphasize the concept that we discussed earlier, value. And they are pretty successful. And they practice some of the same things we talked about today as far as looking out for the client, looking out for the prospects, what's the best interest for them. And that's... It's just these are some of the little little things I've taken and I've learned and apply it to myself so I can. I still think I need to get to that level someday and further. So I'm still continually growing.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Curtis,
3: do you want to start us off with some picks? Absolutely, Chuck. I was hoping you'd ask. Um, I'm <laughs> going to start with Bloggo. Bloggo is a blog editor to write your posts in, but it actually interfaces with Evernote. And the great thing about that is... When you look at Evernote later, so when I you know do a final revision of my notes and I look at Evernote, since i put all my research in there, which we talked about earlier in this show, I'll see related notes. So I can see <laughs> other articles from other places that may pertain to what I'm writing about that I can link to or that I can reference. And Evernote is also uh, in the future about to release something they call Context, where it'll actually find other things outside of what you've just saved as well. So they had some partnerships. Um, I forget who it was, but I listened to that on Triangulation, so... I use Bloggo because it's a nice, pretty interface. All right. I'll go
0: ahead and uh, throw some pics out there. So I've mentioned this book before, but uh, I've been reading it again, and it's just... I'm really enjoying it. It's really having this effect on me and pushing me to outsource a little bit more of the work that I'm doing. Um, it's called Virtual Freedom by Chris Ducker. And yeah. It's pretty awesome, um, and he has all kinds of information in there. So... Just to give an example, I've been working on this video series for Ruby on Rails developers. And so I spent about, well, I won't tell you. I spent a few hours uh, recording and I spent a few hours more than that trying to edit my video. And there are people out there that, you know, you can hire to do the video editing. So I reached out to a friend of mine. And he does video courses for a company called Pluralsight. If you're in the .NET space, they're pretty popular. And they're kind of gaining ground in a lot of other areas for programmer training. But anyway, so I reached out to him because he outsources his editing. And so he put me in touch with a guy that he hires to do his stuff. And that got me just some terrific contact for somebody that can do the editing probably in a bit less time because he's more practiced at it than I am. And he costs a whole bunch less because he's not a domestic person. So anyway, I've I've really enjoyed that. So I'm going to pick that book. I I can't recommend it highly enough. And speaking of outsourcing work, so I'm going to put a plug in for Mandy. She's my uh, assistant. She does all of the editing and show notes for the shows and uh, is just a terrific help in pretty much everything. So in the book, he talks about general VAs, and then he talks about hiring... Specific people to do specific jobs, and so I've been reaching out and trying that out a bit, not a ton, because it's usually just easier to ask Mandy to do it, and she gets it done the way I want it done. So, so yeah, so I'm going to recommend Virtual Freedom and DevReps. If you go to DevReps.com, that's uh, Mandy's company. Reuben, do you have some picks?
2: Yes, sure. So I'm just going to have one pick, which is a new, or it's not that new, podcast on NPR, which is a game show. So Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a pretty well-known one. There's a relatively new one called Ask Me Another, which is word games and puzzles, and it's I think aimed at a younger audience, but it's a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, if you like the music of Jonathan Colton, he is as they call him their house band, and so just about <laughs> every week, yeah, 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 they're like, and well, everyone welcome our house band Jonathan Colton, and then and he does all sorts of very funny uh, musical puzzles as well, where he replaces lyrics with all sorts of funny stuff. So it's definitely worth listening to and highly enjoyable. And you might even learn something, although I doubt that's really the intention in any way, shape, or form. If you, anyway, that's it for this week. <laughs> if you
0: wonder how one man can be their uh, house band, just go look up some YouTube videos of Jonathan Colton, not the music videos, but of him actually playing on his little soundboard, and you'll figure out pretty fast that, yeah, he, he can be a whole
2: band. He's extremely talented, and it comes through uh, in numerous ways on each show.
0: Yep. Donald, do you have some picks for us?
1: Yeah, a couple things. One, I kind of gave one of them, one of them away already. It's called the uh, the Challenger Sale, and I think that would benefit anyone in selling or anyone who's an entrepreneur or anyone who has to sell their product or services. It's an awesome book. The other thing that I recommend is something called an app called Refresh App. I'm not sure if you've any of you heard of that, but Refresh is pretty slick. It's almost like a spy app. <laughs> it allows you. To like, if I have a meeting with Joe Johnson tomorrow, Refresh will pull information from his LinkedIn and Twitter and provide that information to me so that I can go into that meeting well armed. So I know that Joe, it says that Joe here, you know, recently supported the baseball game or recently tweeted about this or, you know, talking about this on Facebook. So now it allows me the opportunity to go into the meeting and I know some of those things that'll kickstart a conversation. So I can, instead of twiddling my thumbs, I know he loves you know, baseball, minor league baseball, start the conversation somewhere around that. So that's some of the things that I'd recommend. So I love that app, Refresh app.
0: All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming, Donald. It was uh, hey, great man. to talk to you. It's always fun. Yeah, it's fascinating. And Thank if people, you for having me. If people want to connect with you or uh, find out what you've been up to, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: You can go to salesevangelist.com sales com, or you can connect with me on the Twitter. My Twitter handle is Donald C. Kelly. So those are the place that I hang out a lot.
0: All right. Well, uh, one other thing, we are doing our live Q&A again on the 25th of November. I think that's the right date. It's the week of Thanksgiving. If you're in the US, um, it's going to be that Tuesday. And so uh, you can go to freelancers com and sign up and then we will uh, get you all the information on how to join up so uh go check that out and yeah other than that we'll wrap this up and we'll catch you all next week
1: hey thanks so much guys appreciate it
0: bye everyone ciao this episode is sponsored by mad glory you've been building software for a long time and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming work piles up hiring sucks and it's hard to get projects out the door check out mad glory they're a small shop with experience shipping big products Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum.